Dr. Kristen Oja here, entrepreneur and functional medicine expert. Welcome to Little By Podcast, where our goal is to empower you to achieve optimal health, one step and one episode at a time. Taking a functional medicine approach will cover a variety of health and wellness topics, from how to optimize performance to how to balance your hormones and everything in between. This podcast is for educational purposes only, so please be sure to consult your healthcare provider before incorporating any changes into your daily routine. Now grab your headphones and let's go for a walk as we take steps towards becoming your best self. All right. I am so excited to introduce today's podcast guest, Athena Newell. She is one of my friends and colleagues at Stat Wellness. She is also a wife, a mom of three, yes, three children, and she is a nurse practitioner that specializes in women's health and strives to make functional medicine approachable and attainable for all. And I think that functional medicine can feel very daunting. So having a provider that is approachable and helps make it attainable is so, so important. And so I'm really excited for this podcast and we are going to be digging all into hormones, which is such a hot topic in functional medicine and really just in general. Uh, We're going to kind of take a more women's health approach with these hormones, but we're going to touch on so many different things. So Athena, welcome to the show. Hello. Glad to be here. We are so happy to have you here. So I wanted to jump right into it and talk about what hormones are. So tell us about hormones. Yeah. So, um, Hormones are just our body's way of communicating um, around the body with different tissues and organs. So they're like little messengers that talk to our tissues and are going to turn on function or turn off function. Um, Those hormones can influence our growth and development whenever we're like in our preteen years. Uh, Our thoughts and emotions, sleep, hunger, weight management, reproductivity or fertility. Um, So they really influence everything. And I think a lot of people think of hormones when they're either having a menstrual cycle or they're going through menopause, but hormones are really important for every single stage of our life, even as children, you know, certain hormones like insulin and growth hormone. And so every stage of your life, hormones are so crucial. And I was talking to Cameron and uh, my husband and he was like, Kristen, how many hormones are there in the body? And I was like, you know, I I really don't know, but I started naming them out loud. And he was like, please, please just stop. Uh, We're going to be here all day. Um, So not an exciting dinner conversation. But um, tell us kind of what are some symptoms for our listeners that maybe think they have some hormonal imbalances? What are some symptoms that you see? Yeah, so there's tons and tons of them that, uh, you know, can can be caused by hormones. Um, but some of the ones that I hear of the most fatigue is a big one, which is super vague and hard to treat from like a conventional medicine standpoint. Um, irritability, anxiety, depression is rampant in our society right now could certainly be influenced by your hormones, menstrual irregularities, inability to conceive sex drive, weight management, acne. Like those are some of the big ones that I hear of a lot, but they can kind of run the gamut. And that's why I love functional medicine so much. And we talk about this a lot on the show, but it's really getting to the root cause. So we see a lot of fatigue at stat. So it's, you know, why are you tired? Or like you mentioned the acne, the weight Mm -hmm. troubles, the menstrual cycles. And I always talk with my patients and I'm like, you really, you shouldn't feel like you have to take a whole week off of work and you're taking ibuprofen around the clock when you're about to have your cycle. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So when, when, when you're meeting with your patients, do you recommend getting your hormones tested? 
I mean, just with the clients that I see, um, pretty much everyone, and it really the, the hormones we just mentioned, uh, because they can be connected to so many different hormones, like our weight can be connected to our thyroid or our adrenals or our insulin levels, um, our reproductive hormones. So we really need to look at a lot of those things when you're having a vague complaint like fatigue or weight management. So um, really any of those symptoms we mentioned above that can kind of overlap into our hormones. Let's kind of talk about some of the basic hormones that we would check on uh, a yeah. new patient. So let's, you just mentioned a good amount of them, but let's, let's chat. Like, what are some of the main hormones you look at when a person first comes in? Uh, let's talk about fatigue first. So someone comes in for fatigue. What are some of the hormones you're going to look at and why? Right. That's a good point. And there's so much here. So with fatigue, we can, let's start with um, blood sugar. So um, fatigue can be caused by that that, that spike or drop in blood sugar. So we want to look at blood sugar regularity. So what's your fasting glucose look like in the morning? How are you averaging your, your, um, your management of your blood sugar over time? So that's your A1C, um, our insulin level. How are we responding? How is our body responding to the the foods we eat by releasing insulin? Um, so we can, process it, metabolize it. So um, blood sugar is one way. Um, Our thyroid, so we would look at a TSH, which is the messenger that talks to our brain of turning on or turning off our thyroid hormones. Um, Our T3 and T4, which are active um, hormones in our body doing the heavy lifting. Um, Sometimes we might also look at uh, autoimmune disease, which is a whole different (laughs) day, I think. Um, Estrogen, um, so that's estradiol and um, estrone that come from our adrenals and our ovaries and progesterone also that comes from our ovaries. That's the reproductive stuff that can cause the fatigue. So right around your period, um, PMS type symptoms there. Um, and I already mentioned the fatigue associated with your thyroid. So those are just a few. Yes. Yes. And I know yeah. another one that we check a lot is like our adrenals, cortisol and mm-hmm. DHEA. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, that's a big thing that I feel like I see a lot yeah. is chronic yeah. stress leading to fatigue. Yeah. So no matter kind of what phase of life you're in, it's obviously important to test your hormones and mm-hmm. anything from our blood sugar to our thyroid, to our adrenals, to our female hormones. Um, so what are some different ways? Like, is it, do you always test through blood work or tell us about some of the different ways that you look at hormones with your patients? Right. And so this one um, is really interesting because we're also trying to take into account, at least at stat, that we want to be really conscious of people's, you know, wallets, like how much are we going to spend on these two? So um, that takes into account you know, testing, but, um, our blood, we can absolutely test blood. Um, that one can be interesting when it comes to certain times of the month, where are you in your menstrual cycle? What time of the day, that sort of thing. Um, so blood, we can look at our adrenal cortisol function in that one moment in time. We know that our cortisol level can fluctuate right throughout the day in the morning versus at night, stress, not stressed. So we can look at our cortisol levels. We can look at estradiol, estrone, progesterone, testosterone, DHEA. We could do tons of testing through our blood work. Doesn't mean that's necessarily the most ideal place. There's also urine where we can look at some of those hormones as well. Um, our estrogens and our adrenal hormones are a great place um, to test it in, in our urine. Um, saliva can also be another place Um The nice thing about urine is that it gives us the information like through the Dutch test where we can look at the metabolites. So not just what we're excreting, but also how are we metabolizing and storing those hormones too. So lots of different options. I think that's so important, especially when you're talking about estrogens, because we work with a lot of patients with estrogen dominance and we can kind of get into why we see that a lot in the kind Mm -hmm. of standard American culture. 
But when you look at just an estradiol and estrone in the blood work, like you mentioned, it doesn't look at the metabolites. And so the Dutch test is a common one we do that breaks it down into 2, 4, and 16 hydroxyestrone. So not only can we get your hormones balanced at the moment, but we can also help prevent some diseases in the long run that are associated right. with estrogen dominance. So, you know, these are things that Athena and I talk with our patients about anything from like endometriosis to um, infertility to breast cancers, uh, fibroids all of those things can really stem from this estrogen dominance. Um, mm-hmm. But I do, I think that you're, it's really important, like you mentioned, to take into account cost. A lot of people, when they mm-hmm. think functional medicine, think that they're going to be spending, you know, $3,500 at their first visit. And while you can run every single thing under the moon, you can right. get a lot of information from a person's timeline. So what right. are some things, like when you meet with a, a patient and you kind of get into their timeline, what are some things that you talk with them about to identify if hormones are maybe playing a role. Yeah. Um, so when they started their period is a big one, like, um, or even like their family history of, um, estrogen dependent cancer. So, uh, but, but kind of going back to when they started their period, like were they 10 or 14 and then they've been having high estrogen levels and PMS symptoms since then, um, or even timeline is, you know, are they having regular periods Is it every six, eight weeks? Do they not have periods for months and months and months? Or, you know, they have to be put on birth control. Um, so those can all be giving us some information about that. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think also yeah. kind of, as you mentioned, the cortisol first thing in the morning, mm-hmm. a lot of people that come to us, they maybe they've been to an endocrinologist or they've been to an OBGYN and they've had their hormones looked at, but nobody ever talked about how time of day plays a role. And right. so- you know, even as we talk about men's health, it's really fascinating to me that a morning testosterone and afternoon testosterone can change by up to 25% just from the day. And so, um, that's something how might they might feel the difference between those. Right. Right. And the foods we eat can influence that. Mm -hmm. Our stress levels can influence that so many different things. So, uh, we're really picky. We like, if we do do blood work to look at your levels really within an hour of waking, uh, and get a really good idea. So why you mentioned, that you like to do the urine or saliva for adrenals. Why do you like to do those tests to further look at adrenal function? Yeah. Um, so like I'd mentioned earlier, when you're doing a blood, you know, blood work at the first thing in the morning, that's the best time if we're going to run blood, but we're only looking at that one moment in time. We're not looking at what happens after we eat our lunch or what's happening after we eat our dinner. Um, when our cortisol, you know, people say that they're night owls. Well, after dinner, they start to have all of this energy is, is cortisol playing a role. So when we do saliva or urine, we can test at multiple points throughout the day and really see a little bit, you know, more information of our normal pattern. Of course, like things like stress, that afternoon uh, meeting that causes a stress can influence those things, but um, that gives us more data um, throughout the day. And we can do that more easily with saliva, saliva and urine. So how should cortisol look throughout the day? Yeah. Um, ideally it should be like a slide. We wake up in the morning and it should be at its highest point. I always say to my patients that it's like, we're waking up, we're animals, the sun's coming up and it's time to work. And so we turn on that cortisol to motivate us to get us out of bed. So in our, in our, um, cortisol level kind of follows the sun. It should be high in the morning. And then as the sun goes down, our cortisol also should be going down with it. Um, So it's nice and low and we're ready to sleep at bedtime and it remains low throughout the night. So if you're having that person who's, like I said, a night owl, can't slow down um, when they go back, go to sleep, their mind's racing or they're waking up in the middle of the night, their cortisol level could certainly be playing a role 
their blood sugar could also be playing a role, which we're finding out right now too with our blood sugar boot camp. That's fun. Gosh, yeah. Athena and I right now actually <laughs> both have continuous glucose monitors on. And uh, me, Athena, and Kyle have all been texting each mm-hmm. other and figuring out some things that influence our blood sugar. And it's yeah. crazy. You know, even us with all the knowledge that we have, we are still finding things that influence our blood sugar that I know for me, I had no idea. Right. Yeah, exactly. So Same. yeah, it's it's great. So blood work we can do through the labs for right that action, that moment blood work to see where your levels mm-hmm. are at. We can do saliva and urine to see kind of a better average of your hormones and to also see them more throughout the day, which I think is really awesome. Um, so we know we can test them at stat. We know we look at the timeline. We know hormones are important for every single stage of our life. What are some of the common hormonal imbalances that you see with your patients? Yeah. Um, I would really, I would say probably three main ones, and they're also going to encompass a lot. They're kind of umbrella terms when we when it comes to dysfunction. So just like you were saying a minute ago about blood sugar, blood sugar is probably the biggest one. And even with the tools that we use in conventional medicine, like a fasting glucose, A1C, insulin, there's there's still a lot of irregularities um, when it comes to like weight management, disease, all of that stuff that's along the spectrum that's not pre-diabetic and it's not diabetes yet. So blood sugar irregularities are a big one. Obviously, those are tightly tied to our lifestyle or stress, all of that stuff. Um, Thyroid imbalances, partly because it's so tied to our adrenal function, which we don't pay attention to enough, Um, our lifestyle and stress and also autoimmune disease. Women are like 80% of autoimmune diseases in women. So we see that a lot closely tied to weight management. Um, And then estrogen dominance or low progesterone, same thing, also tied to lifestyle, stress, all of that stuff. So yeah, blood sugar, thyroid, estrogen dominance are the most common things I see. I would agree with my patients too. So let's break that down a little bit more. So we look at a glucose, insulin, and A1C in blood work, and we can run that through LabCorp with people's insurance. But a lot, like you mentioned, those markers they may not be elevated until there is actually an issue, like where you are pre-diabetic or diabetic. And so um, let's kind of talk about just in the blood work, like where do you like to see your patients, glucose, insulin, A1C? What would be a more optimal level? Yeah, um, glucose first thing in the morning. So ideally we've been fasting for eight to 12 hours at this point. Um, So our nighttime meal is going to influence that night you know, glucose where we're at in the morning, but ideally I want to see the glucose between 75 and 85 first thing in the morning. Um, your conventional doctor might say that you're totally fine if you're up towards 90, 100. Um, if your A1C is normal, which we'll get to A1C. Um, your insulin, I like to see it less than seven. We also don't want to see it too low either. Um, I think, I think ideally I like to see it between like, you know, five to seven uh, first thing in the morning. And then an A1C, this one can be tricky because it's an average. And I'm seeing that a lot of my patients are on the low end of normal. And I've done a little bit of research and there wasn't a ton of information about low A1Cs, but we can talk about that. But ideally, I want to see our A1Cs around like 5.1 to 5.3 even. We're kind of pushing it or pushing 5.5. That's pre-diabetic technically. And like I said, a conventional doctor wouldn't bat an eye at that probably. But ideally speaking, 5.1 is a really nice place to be. Yes, I, I like a 5.12. So A1C, for those listening, that is a marker of over three months, how well you've controlled mm-hmm. your blood sugar. And I find it so crazy that our red blood cells live about 120 days. So we're mm-hmm. looking at their whole lifespan, how well we've controlled blood sugar. And so with this boot camp that we're both in, 
I know for me, like my average blood sugar is great. Like it usually hangs out around 5.1 and 5.2, but I'm actually like all over the place throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And so my average might look perfect, but that blood sugar going up or down can really influence my mental clarity, my mood, my metabolism, my appetite, my irritability. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important to kind of take a deeper dive when it comes to that blood sugar. So what are some things that influence, like before we break down some of the other topics, what lifestyle variables influence our blood sugar? Oh, gosh, this could be I mean, you could do a whole podcast on this alone. Uh, The different things that causes like spikes and drops in our blood sugar is um, stress is a big one. Um, That impacts our adrenals, our adrenals impact our insulin, our glucose um, release, so we can have higher levels if we are under stress, sleep is another thing. If we don't get enough sleep, that time to repair at night, it can affect, gosh, was a ghrelin and leptin, which also impact our appetite. So um, we might be eating a little bit more, have not have as much ability to, to suppress cravings at that point. So sleep, stress, um, meals, obviously, the differences between a complex carb and a simple carb, if you have half a banana versus a small bowl of beans, like those two things are going to be very different, even if the if the, the actual carb count is different or is the same in those two, they're going to one's going to have a higher glycemic index. It's going to spike your blood sugar and then drop it really quickly versus something like a whole grain or a bean might have like a slower, more gradual increasing decrease. We're going to have less symptoms associated with that. Um so diet, sleep, stress um, are the big ones. Exercise, of course. Um, muscle, our muscles are what you use our insulin. We need to um, have, we need to be sensitive, right, to that insulin um, hormone um, in our muscles. So ex- um, exercise can impact whether we are using our glucose or not. Yeah, I think exercise, yeah. diet, stress, sleep, I yeah. think those are definitely the big one. It's interesting. My dad yeah. is also doing the blood sugar boot camp right now. And he whole, whole family. Oh yeah, whole family. Every <laughs> single person I know I stuck the on uh continuous yeah. glucose monitor. But it's fascinating because he actually has such good blood sugar control when it comes to anything he eats. But he was like, What was I doing at three o'clock where he had a little bit of a blood sugar spike? And it was three hours after he ate lunch. So he's like, you know, I, oh. I didn't eat anything. What happened? He went into a meeting. And so it matches the data and it's just so I I nerd out about this stuff. But what was interesting and what his perspective is, is, you know, maybe my body needed that glucose to be able to think clearly, to be able Mm. to, um, you know, be a good asset in that meeting. And so when you think about that kind of cortisol and bear response, our brain just burns through our glucose. So if it had been three hours since he ate and he's about to go into a stressful meeting, his brain might be thriving on that glucose to help him perform. So I think that's so fascinating. Isn't I think everything is really about balance and seeing how quickly he recovers because sometimes, and it's not that he's spiking to a dangerous level, but it just, it, you know, it went up to a little bit higher than his baseline. And I really do believe that some of that is, is positive. If we didn't have some of mm. that extra glucose for our brain to use, to be able to think and to perform. Um, I've heard different right. podcast speakers that, you know, they may be leading conferences for 16, 18 hours in a day. And they say on those days, they're eating like 5,000 calories to fuel their brain because of how much glucose their brain is burning through, Um, Mm -hmm. which is just mind-blowing because your brain is only three pounds. Like that little tiny (laughs) three-pound brain needs so much glucose. So I do think the stress is an interesting component. And I think one of the big things is that chronic stress versus acute stress. So 
one of the things, and Athena, I don't know if you want to share on this a little bit more, but we see so much chronic stress and that's the bigger problem than the, what I call you stress. Um, is there anything that you, you talk with your patients or can identify between like you stress and de-stress? Like, is there things that you can see with your patients when maybe the stress is a negative thing? Yeah. I mean, if you look at like if you think about stress as like a bell curve, right, that we want to be kind of right in the middle, that we do want a little bit of stress to motivate us and kind of like light a fire under us. Maybe it's a deadline um, or you just have a busy schedule and you don't have a lot of time to man, you know, work on that project. So you have to squeeze it in somewhere like you do want a little bit of stress to motivate you. But then when you go on the other side of it is when you see like that decompensation. Um, if we're looking at it from an adrenal, like just hormonal perspective, uh, we want that acute um, response when it comes to our adrenals, right? Like the car pulls out in front of us. Um, we want to be able to respond quickly with our cortisol. When you were talking about mental clarity, we our cortisol helps with that mental clarity to make quick decisions. So we want that burst of cortisol in that moment, but we don't want it to remain high. We want it to come back down naturally. But when we're constantly... Um, doing all the things and running from the bear all day long, and we keep that cortisol level high constantly, that's going to impact everything in our body, our mental clarity. If you're constantly um, running from the bear, it's going to be very hard to focus and spin all the plates. We see this a lot with moms. I mean, I know we're both in that stage right now that when we have so many things that are occupying our brain, um, it's really difficult to focus. So we don't want to go past that level. And so when we're seeing chronic levels of stress, we might even see low levels of cortisol. Um, and we, there's another hormone we watch, DHEA, um, that might be down as well. So those are some hormones like we'll see as far as like number, sheer numbers go um, to try and keep an eye on that from a numbers perspective. And I think when you look at the hormone cascade, it's really fascinating to me that you almost can't have chronically high cortisol and have optimal DHEA, pregnenolone, and progesterone. And I think the hormone cascade, it's just, it's, it's so complex and it's so intricate and it's this negative feedback loop. And, you know, getting into that cascade is for another day. Um, But you mentioned like the mental clarity. If you have chronically high cortisol, your hormone called pregnenolone is suppressed, which is that master hormone. And it's also coined the cognition hormone. So I really, I think there's ways that we can validate the way that our patients are feeling just by looking at some of those mm. basic labs. Right. And yeah. maybe it's not ADD or ADHD. Maybe it's just high cortisol and low pregnant alone. Um, right. So, Which is such a shame when you think about, you know, there's nothing wrong, like absolutely nothing wrong with needing ph- pharmaceutical support at some time. We're not against medicine, but for the kids um, or the adults that need the pharmaceutical support and they never even get the chance to address the cortisol response, right? Right. And then they're just put on a pharmaceutical instead of all of these other things that we could be helping to manage it. Right. And then you think about some of those stimulants that increase the cortisol more and suppress the pregnenolone more and the progesterone. So I think it's important to really kind of meet with somebody and help identify some of those root causes. Because I can't tell you how many times I've seen a pregnenolone less than 10 and somebody is taking Vyvanse to help them get through the day with focus. And yeah, yeah, they just have no pregnenolone, um, which is just fascinating. So yeah, definitely the long-term stress. And I always uh, tell my patients to cortisol, it, even though it is so good, chronic levels of cortisol is almost like taking steroids around the clock. So if any right. of yep. 
And if any of our listeners have been on steroids for bronchitis or pneumonia or whatever it is, um, you might have felt that you were a lot more hungry, that maybe you gained some weight if you were on them for a while. So just think about cortisol as, as your body's natural steroid. And when it stays high, you are going to be more hungry. You will gain more weight. You will be irritable. You will have a short fuse. Uh, so I think it's important to identify that maybe there's a reason you're feeling the way you're feeling. Right. Yeah. So thyroid, uh, that was the second thing that you had mentioned outside of blood sugar control. And I know for me, almost all of my patients, when they come in, they're like, I really want a full thyroid panel. And I think one of the big reasons for that is mainstream medicine, a TSH is kind of a, it's a acceptable way of evaluating thyroid function, which you mentioned. Um, so you said that you look at T4 and T3 and sometimes look at that thyroid, uh, the autoimmune with the thyroid. And I know sometimes we'll run a reverse T3 and it can get super complex, but kind Mm -hmm. of breaking it down a little bit, like what are some of the reasons that our thyroid can become, maybe it's not true hypothyroidism, but it's a sluggish thyroid. What are some things that can cause a sluggish thyroid? Yeah. So bullet points would be adrenal dysfunction. Um, so we mentioned the autoimmune disease and lifestyle are, 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 I would say three big ones. Um, so starting off with the, you know, the insulin glucose levels can influence our ability to secrete those hormones, um, our adrenals. So our high cortisol level can, um, slow the conversion of our T3, T4 hormones also, which then would, um, cause some sluggish thyroid and then autoimmune disease, um, can, those antibodies can attack our thyroid as well. So those, those, I would say the three main ones. Stress is a huge one that I see. And that's yeah, stress. Yeah. Yeah. Stress is huge. Um, I'm also starting to check a lot more nutrients that play a role with thyroid function. And sure. I'm blown away by how many people are really deficient in iodine. Mm-hmm. which is one of the most important nutrients for our thyroid function. And I really think one of the reasons we're seeing a lot of iodine deficiencies is, is well, one of the reasons at least is uh, fluoride in our water system. Fluoride binds to mm-hmm. iodine. And um, the other thing is we're moving away from the processed salt, which is great that they fortify with iodine right. and using some you know right. different salts that don't have as much iodine. So autoimmune yeah. possibly being a reason, stress being a huge one we see a lot, uh, and then nutrients being another thing. I think that's great. Mm-hmm. And then breaking down estrogen dominance was the third one you mentioned. What are symptoms mm-hmm. that you see when people have estrogen dominance? Yeah. The, I mean, the easiest way is like when, when I try and help my patients wrap their brain around is just like think of kind of like classic PMS type symptoms, uh, which is like heavy, you know, pr- let's start with pre-period irritability, anxiety, depression, um, like water retention, like those sorts of kind of vague symptoms before your period even starts being like kind of the raging um, PMS symptoms are a huge red flag, I would say. Um, heavy bleeding, clots in your cycle, terrible um like pain. So like you mentioned earlier, you should not have to miss work. That is not normal for you to have to miss work because you're bleeding through your tampons every couple hours or you're in so much pain that you can't get out of bed. Like that is not normal. Um, Plots in your, in your cycles, spotting between cycles is another one painful, like very painful breast tenderness. So just taking some of those typical PMS symptoms and exaggerating them um, is, is what I usually see. Low libido is another big one that we see with a lot of women. And unfortunately um, that, 
that weight. Like the women just seem to deal with that a lot. A lot of women deal with that. It's one of my, probably one of my top complaints, especially for my married women. They're like, I'm in my mid thirties. I should not have low libido. What is happening? This is a problem. Yeah. Um, and that certainly can be playing a role. Stress is a big factor when it comes to that relationships, obviously, but also your hormones, low mm-hmm. progesterone. Yes. Yes. And testosterone is another thing that a lot of women right, don't realize yeah. they actually need testosterone. Right. Um, you don't want yeah. too much, but you also don't want too little. Why do right. you think uh, we're seeing more and more estrogen dominance with our patients? Um, I think that our stress level, because we, we've talked about how our, I, I really, um, one of the quick ways I try to explain to our patients is like the self-preservation. Our body is very in tune with trying to avoid, um, you know, keep our bodies safe, right? And so if we're in a stressful running from the bear lifestyle, then it's going to be like, I don't, I don't want to conceive right now. So it's going to cause all sorts of um you know, irregularities possibly in those hormones. So low progesterone can be one because of that, that stress imbalance. Um, I think the products that we're using um, are, can be um, indi- or est- estrogen um, mimickers. So they act like estrogen in our body on top of the fact that our ovaries and our adrenals are secreting these hormones. So um, I think that there's a lot of things within our lifestyle that are cause- causing that impact. Of course, there's this genetic factor. A lot of times you'll see that estrogen dominance trend in families, but I think our lifestyle plays a big role in that too. They've done quite a few studies now where they're really looking genetics plays a role in about 10% of the outcomes and 90% is based on our lifestyle. And, you know, one of the things that stat we get into is epigenetics. How is your environment playing a role Mm -hmm. on that and nutrigenomics? How are your nutrients playing a role? And so it is, it's fascinating that your genetics play a role and, and people don't realize your skin is an organ, just like any part Mm -hmm. of your body. So what you put on your skin gets absorbed into your body. And I, I read a study where they say that, that, um, the average female puts 180 chemicals on their body before they leave their front door. Right. Yeah. And you know, that's from makeup, moisturizers, dry shampoo, deodorant, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. So anybody listening, the first thing I think you should switch to natural if you have not is deodorant. Um, yeah, that just because of all the aluminum and it's going right into your lymph nodes under your arms Yeah. yeah. And circulating. So, you know, parabens, phthalates, what are some tools? Like if somebody is, you know, I know we're not getting too far into the clean beauty, but if somebody does have estrogen dominance and they're wanting to look at their lifestyle and kind of clean up some of their products, is there any resources or tools that you know for them? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Skin Deep is is a really great resource or the EWG. I think their tool, I think the EWG has a tool called Skin Deep. Um, That is one that you can use. You can scan. Well, I think you can search products. You might be able to scan products too. I have to double check. But basically you can scan whatever products you have and it'll give it a score that makes it really simple. Um, to kind of gauge like zero to 10, how quote bad is this particular product? And they'll break it down into like allergy response, um, hormone disruptors, um, cancer causing agents or linked to cancer. So they'll break it down into the things that you care about. So, um, Skin Deep and then Think Dirty is another one where there's a scannable product or a scannable uh, app that you can use. I use both of them, especially because I didn't yeah. know a lot about baby uh, products. Right. I know. So, <laughs> I know. I was all over EWG, like searching every, like which shampoo's the best, which uh, diaper balm, you know, reading all these things because um, they're a little Gosh, precious. Becoming a mom. I know. 
seriously, that was whenever, I mean, that was probably what sent me down this path is I had a daughter, you know, I, we had our daughter when, um, a few years ago, six years ago now. And I started to realize, oh my gosh, I cannot believe we put all this stuff on their baby skin. And, oh uh, man, I started making my own baby wipes and all, all kinds of stuff at the time. That's amazing. We're going to have to have you back on here to talk about all the like mom hacks. Cause I know like with three oh, kids and working, you've got so many, so many different hacks, which is great. Yeah. But it, I mean, it is, it's, you know, also when you're caring for somebody else, I think sometimes it's easy for moms and people to kind of like skim on their own health. But then when you bring oh, this little sure. innocent baby into the world, you're like, I can't be spreading these toxins all over her skin every night. Um, so yeah, environmental working group skin database, I think are both huge by, uh, or think dirty. The other thing that I see a lot is as a culture, our body compositions are really changing. Mm -hmm. So CDC, you know, they really have come out that about two thirds of America, over 70% of America is overweight or obese. And that excess body fat really plays a role in our estrogen levels. So, Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, I think that's huge. How do I know one of the things that I want you to kind of talk about is because we were really big at stat on the weight on the scale does not matter, but the composition does. Tell us a little bit about looking at body composition when it comes to hormone balance. Yeah, that's really interesting because you can look at how you store your your fat in different segments of your body and get a, get a better understanding of like is this co- connected to more of an insulin resistance, metabolic dysfunction, or are we looking at more estrogen dominance? So that's something we'll, we'll we can see a little bit better in our uh, body composition scans. But we use an in, in body um, scan here, um, so that breaks down like fat, muscle, water weight, uh, muscle, and in different segments of the body, whether your arms or your trunk and that sort of thing. And so that can be really helpful, especially with women who have estrogen dominance. We know that um, fat mass can kind of help encourage this like vicious cycle when it comes to weight management. And so this is a great way for me to encourage women when I look at their lower body and I see that in their lower body, they actually have a lower percentage of muscle mass, which means probably higher percentage of fat mass in their lower body. So I can say, hey, this is a great opportunity for you to focus on strength training, which a lot of women shy away from strength training in the lower portion of your body, or, you know, I can really cater and individualize, which is what this is all about is individualizing their care, um, based on their in-body scan. Um, their visceral fat is another one. Visceral fat is that fat that's not just around your waist or on your thighs, but it's deep and it's around your organs. Um, and it's associated with chronic disease. Like we want you to feel beautiful, but we also want to prevent chronic disease. So we want to keep that visceral fat Um, less than 10, ideally less than five um, to prevent chronic disease, to help with estrogen dominance when we decrease that visceral fat level. Yes. Yeah. I think that's great. And so when you're looking at BMI versus body fat percent, like Mm -hmm. what are, what are your thoughts on BMI? Oh gosh. It's, I always tell my patients, like, I'm never going to tell you to shoot for a specific BMI. It's just an imperfect value. We know that muscle weighs more than fat and high, you know, having somebody who actually has a lower percent body fat might have a high BMI. So I don't put a lot of stock in it, even though you might see changes when you do some changes to your body composition. If you change your fat or your muscle mass, you'll see changes to BMI sometimes. Um, but your percent body fat, um, is 
much more important. I still try not to like put a lot of emphasis on that number because we obviously know we are more than numbers. Um, but for women particularly, we don't want our fat mass too high and we don't want it too low either. Um, so I focus a little bit more on the percent body fat for the hormonal perspective because we use our fat to make our hormones. Like, so we need those we need those numbers there. So especially for a woman who's trying to conceive, we don't want their, their fat mass to be too low and we don't want it to be too high either. And I think that's something that I'm actually seeing more and more. Like, yes, when you look at America from a whole, 70% is overweight or obese, which is going to lead to more estrogen dominance. But I'm seeing more and more orthorexia with my patients and actually a very low body fat percent, which is really, in my opinion, just as dangerous. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that range we really look for is like 18 to 28% body fat for females. And so a lot of women, they come in and, you know, they do have a lot of muscle mass and they are very strong, but they're working out every single day. They never stray from their diet. They 100% of the time eat clean and they need to be eating clean and exercising for their mental health. And if they Mm -hmm. aren't, you know, 100% on track with their exercise and their diet, mentally it affects them and their quality of life. And that's kind of where this obsession with eating healthy and orthorexia comes from. And I've actually seen this year quite a few women coming in at 11% body fat, 12%, wow. 13%. And, you know, that really low body fat females were not designed to be there. And so um, right. we we really are kind of seeing both extremes. Are you seeing that as well? Or I don't know, maybe more so yeah. my patients. Yeah, I think we have, I mean, I think because the the types of patients that are attracted, I think, to our practice, giving the movement and the medicine component, that's a little bit different, I think, than maybe you see in other practices. But um, I absolutely see that. And it's such a slippery slope, because on the one hand, you want to hear that they care about their health, and they care about the food that they eat and their exercise, and trying to like navigate that space of encouraging them to uh, maybe be a little more open-handed while they're also like the, the girls who I just can't lose that last five pounds or 10 pounds. And they think that if they stray from their diet um, or their exercise routine, that, they, that they're just going to balloon, you know, like I'm already gaining weight. I don't want to gain, gain more. So it can be really tricky of navigating that space. So I absolutely see that a lot too. Yes. And it is, you're exactly right. Cause it's like, we encourage health and wellness, but I think that question is, is it impacting your quality of life? And I know there was a point when I'd go on vacation and if I didn't get up and get like an hour running in the morning, my day, I like, I, I couldn't enjoy my vacation the same way if I didn't get that intense right. exercise first thing in the morning. And my husband, he's, he's such a, a balancer. He's like a very laid back person. And so he, he helped me identify that I, I, was getting a little bit too extreme on my health and wellness journey. And so, um, yeah, finding that balance and teaching that balance is very hard. It's a very hard yeah. concept to to wrap your mind around. But I think it goes back to your quality of life. Is it something you feel like you have to do or is it something you want to do? Right. And even, I mean, looking at, I think women, we really think of like the cardio and the HIIT training as being like what we need for our weight management. But we're seeing through research that meet like our 10,000 steps a day, getting up and doing the laundry, standing at our desk, like doing those things are going to be more sustainable for our weight management in the long run. Like we're talking about whole life health 
low impact, low stress on our body. Um, but that neat exercise is just as valuable. Our strength training, lower intensity is just as valuable. So even with my patients, I'll have them like, if I can tell they're maybe holding on tight to their routine, like, hey, can we switch out one day? Can we maybe put in like one strength training day when you're not getting your heart rate up? Like, let's see how that goes. Or, hey, let's take like, make sure you're getting your rest day on those days. Like, let's get our steps in, like trying to encourage them to like, let go in little ways instead of like, hey, let's totally like, turn your whole routine upside down. Yes. And I know for me, I felt so much calmer. I felt so much stronger Mm, and leaner the more strength training I did. Cause I, I mean, I've yeah. run marathons and I gained weight running marathons um, yeah. because it was so cortisol driven. It was so much cardio. It increased my metabolism. So I was just starved. So I was eating all the time and running all the time. And I just like puffed up. Um, and yeah. then I switched my routine and started doing a lot more strength training with like short bouts of HIIT training. And um, I felt calmer, leaner. I was sleeping better and my appetite was better controlled. Yeah. So what are some... We kind of have like, what, what do you feel like when you meet with your patients? And I know I kind of already kind of talked about this, but what are some things that people can do from a lifestyle standpoint? When we're talking about all these hormones, we know they're super complex. There's so many hormones. There's our blood sugar, our thyroid, our adrenals, our estrogen. Um, What role do you think that our lifestyle plays and what are some kind of actionable things our listeners can start doing today to kind of help with that hormone balance? Yeah. Um, so we've hit a, a bunch of those topics already. Um, so like the the foundations of our health are going to be our sleep. So doing sleep hygiene things, that's like a not sexy word for doing all the things to have a regular routine, um, turning our phones and our TVs off at night, like all the things to try and help support winding the body down at night, um, stress management, meditation, um, going on walks, leaving your phone at home when you go on a walk, don't have like the music playing in your ears, like all the things to help like us de-stress, Epsom salt baths, therapy, please. Like I can't stress enough how useful therapy is for me anyway. Um, so stress management, movement, getting your body moving, um, eating whole foods. We didn't even really get to touch on foods, but nourishing our bodies with the type of foods that we eat and make sure, making sure they're not spiking our blood sugar and doing crazy things there. Relationships, spending time. I don't know about how many of our listeners are married with children, but making sure that you set up a routine of date nights and making sure you're still bonding with your spouse away from your children is going to be so important, not just for our feeling of safety, um, but obviously like keeping um, our children feeling safe in our home around our like our spouse like we want to make sure you have date night do that um and so self-care really is i think just the name of the game right now with the season that we're in with covid and stress and lockdowns and children in and out of schools and all of these crazy things that it is so important to be spending time on us because if we can't um take care of ourselves then our cups are going to be so empty when it comes to like nur- like nourishing the, the things we love in our life whether it's our jobs or our relationships or our children so i think self-care falling like sleep stress movement eating relationships is super important right now i think so i think epsom salt baths i mean those are just amazing mm-hmm. with that magnesium i think it's fam- yeah it's and for me like my schedule has just been so hectic so i always think of what are some of my non-negotiables and it seems like the most yeah. simple thing but deep breathing like waking up every mm-hmm. morning and taking slow deep breaths with my feet flat mm-hmm. on the floor and kind of grounding myself before i start my day i know it's a super small yeah. thing but it's something that i can commit to that takes less than 30 seconds and it really is 
it's transfer, uh, transformational when I think of my days, when I do my deep breathing mm-hmm. and start in a grounded place versus when I get up, check my phone and, and run out the door. Right. Um, so you mentioned food and I just want to touch on that a little bit more before we kind of get into the last two questions of the day, but you mentioned eating whole foods. And I think that's one of the most important things. A lot of our patients are looking for the magic diet. Do they need to be keto? Do they need to be vegan? Do they need to be vegetarian? Should they do whole 30? Like, how should they eat? But I think when you say whole foods, I think that is one of the most simple ways to think about nutrition is how how many times has your food been touched before you're consuming it? So right. what what do you tell your patients when you're kind of coaching them through this whole foods? Is there anything that you think our listeners should know of, of some basic dietary things they could do now to help balance their hormones? Yeah, I really, I mean, whole foods, like you were saying, like minimally processed, not been touched very much, like it's in its original form. So I, and I try to break it down, like, let's think as simple as possible. Um, and I usually break it down into four things that I want to see on their plate at at every meal. And so that's veggies, carbs. So like a complex carb. Um, so something like beans, sweet potatoes, even still is a little bit of a high glycemic index. So some sort of like, um, complex carb, um, proteins, um, ideally lean, but any protein will do, um, and fat. So I want to see those four things on their, their plates, um, at every meal and, and try not to overthink it. Like we can go into like, you know, a, there's a palm measurement that you can use, like how much protein, how much carbs, how much fats, like, let's just make it very simple, minimally touched fruits, vegetables, carbs, proteins, fats at every meal, um, is just make it super simple. I think that's great. I think things without food labels, a blueberry right, is a blueberry. Yeah. You know, I, I tell my patients, right. they come in and they're like, well, I just don't think I can eat carrots because they're too high in carbs. I'm like, I will promise you it is not the carrot that is leading to the right. American obesity pandemic or epidemic that we're right. in. Um, so right. yes, know the food that you're putting in your mouth, you know, 80% of the time, enjoy yourself, get on those dates that you mentioned earlier. Um, and don't have fears of foods that are, that don't fit in that category. But the majority of the time, know what we're putting in our mouth, choosing those whole foods can really make a big difference. So what is one, what's a health myth that you want to bust? Um, that's a good one. We kind of touched on it earlier. Um, and I, I guess it depends on where the myth is, but I would say like PMS symptoms are common, but they are absolutely not normal. So we, you know, we touched on that. If you need, um, to take a day off work or you're bleeding through tampons, that is not normal. The fatigue you're waking up with almost every morning um, is not normal, even though it's common, right? Like the common not normal is what I'm trying to like get my patients to understand. And I'm so glad when they come to me and they're like, I've been dealing with this fatigue for years and none of my doctors have been able to solve it. They told me to get on antidepressants. Like this is common and it's not normal and you don't have to live this way. I love that. I love that. And as we wrap up, because I know that you are actually at the office right now and are about to have a patient, (laughs) but what is uh, one thing that our listeners, I know we've touched on a lot of stuff today, but that they can start doing to become their best self. Is there any like one parting thing that you want our listeners to do? 
Man, I talk in 3,000 foot views a lot. <laughs> so usually for me, it's just like self-care. And that can take, honestly, when it comes to our, our health, like there, like you said, there's no silver bullet. There's no one size fits all. It's never easy, but like trying to find the things that fill your cup up every day. Because like I said, if you fill your cup up, you're able to give more to the people around you. And so what does self-care really look like for you? Like take a day to really sit down and think about it. Is it that slow deep breathing or is it therapy or is it a trip away? Like what are the things that you need? Um, and what are your non-negotiables for care every day? So finding those non-negotiables, I think is super important to do. And I want to have you back on here, Athena, because I, that is, I'll ask my patients like what lights you up and mm -hmm. A lot of my patients, especially my moms, they have a really hard time answering that. They start telling right. me what lights up there. Well, my husband really likes to do this or my kids really. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I want to know what lights you <laughs> up. And I think that as a mom, mm. it's so easy to lose that passion. And um, it's hard to identify what was the last thing that you did that really made you feel genuinely happy. And how can you fit that in? ideally on a daily mm -hmm. basis, but if not on a weekly basis. Um, so I think self-care is huge. And just one thing uh, before we wrap up that has really helped me with that is time batching. I don't know, Athena, if you ever mm. do this. I'm terrible at it. Okay. <laughs> it's hard. It's really, it's hard to do. It is. But it takes a lot of discipline. It does. And I, I used to be really good pre-Emory at like really sticking to mm -hmm. it when it was just my own time that I was working with. When you start adding kids to the equation, it becomes a little bit harder. But I tell my right. patients, even if it's one day a week that you can block for something for you, like having those time blocks that... I think it allows us to one, have a sense of control of our schedule. Cause sometimes as a mom, you feel like you're taking care of everybody all the time and not taking care of you. So having that mm. block that lets you have a sense of control over your schedule, um, and make sure that you are putting it on your calendar, just like you would any meeting, any appointment and hold yourself accountable to doing it. So like for me, there may be a time, um, where I block where I'm going to be in the infrared sauna. And that is something that I have to do for me because I truly, I, I'm like a snake. I love being hot and sweaty. Uh, but I think, <laughs> I think blocking, doing that time batching or that block, even if you just start with one block a week, make sure that you fit something in for self-care that really lights you up and fulfills you. Um, and I guess this won't be pu uh, published before our talk on February 3rd. So, but we're going to be talking all about giving, loving, self-care, all of that, that makes such an impact in our mental, physical, uh, and spiritual well-being. But yeah, thank you so much, Athena, for being on here. I know you're about to hop on with a patient. Uh, we will be having Athena back on. But that was a kind of quick overview of some hormones. And of course, we can do a whole nother podcast one time on just one of those topics because they're so deep and so complex. But thank you so much for coming right. on, Athena. Well, thanks for having me. It was fun. All right. Oh, and if you guys want to book an appointment with Athena, she does free 15-minute consults. So if you want to meet with her, give us a call at Stat Wellness, and we can set you up with a free 15-minute consult and then um, decide if you want to book an appointment and kind of get to the root cause of your hormonal imbalances. Yes, yeah, so that would be fun. Thank you for tuning in. And as always, remember, little by little, a little becomes a lot. Even the smallest changes over time can lead to total mind and body transformation. I'd love for you to stay connected with at Dr. Kristen Oja and at Stat Wellness on Instagram. And if you have any questions, be sure to reach out. I'd love to hear from you.